Joining Hunkering Down with Peter Schorsch is a dear friend of the podcast, someone who I wish I was sipping a dirty martini with rather than um, Skyping with. Slater Bayless, how are you? Oh, hey, Peter. Uh, that dirty sounds good. I'm uh, uh, glad to be hunkering down with you, my man. All right, so tell the audience uh, who you are, what you do, so they know, um, just for their edification. Yeah, so uh, Peter, I'm a uh, I'm a, a native of the of the uh, city of Chicago, and I'm a, I happen to be a Floridian by choice. I wasn't born here, but I realized that uh, uh, most people uh, who did well and, and worked hard throughout their lives where I grew up uh, would retire to Florida. So. Um, that combined with the great American poet, Will Smith and his, uh, his track about going to Miami motivated me to, to come to Florida back in the uh, late nineties. So you are from Chicago. Everybody knows you're a huge sports fan. Do we just want to turn this podcast into a four hour breakdown of the last dance or do we want to, do we want to talk about, are you watching that? Are you watching the, the doc? Uh, you know, Peter, I've been waiting for uh, I've been waiting for the last dance, uh, <laughs> uh, kind of the same way that Mark Reichelderfer waits for the absentee ballot numbers. I've uh, I've been anticipating it for for months. Okay, so like I came down last night and I'm, um, Michelle was there and uh, first of all, I love it because I can remember every moment of every part of it. I was a Utah Jazz fan, as you know. Um, I was a Lakers and then a Utah Jazz fan, so I just got torched by MJ over and over again. But what struck me about episode four last night, and I think this is so important to talk about, is they bring up the they're going back and forth about, you know, the Pistons beat the Celtics and how the Celtics walked off the court, and Isaiah Thomas is trying to explain that, you know, that was not Kevin McHale giving him a send-off. That was him grabbing McHale and saying, don't walk off the court. And then fast forward a few years when the Bulls finally conquer, you know, the Pistons. The Pistons leave early on their home court, which was a little weird. And MJ, like, they want to show MJ video of what Isaiah now has to say. And MJ is just like, you know, fuck that. He's a liar. Like, and he, MJ is just brutally honest throughout this. He's just like, whatever he's saying, he's an ass. He's still an asshole. And I'm just thinking it's, it's not just the drama of that, which is amazing. That is the world's greatest team sport athlete. 30 years to the day or 30 years later, still hanging on to the motivation. I mean, still pissed off. And that, and I'm just like, man, is that, doesn't teach you what it takes in terms of intensity to be at the top of your game, to have that kind of motivation, that hatred kind of, to have that nemesis, to work against somebody, to never forget that persistence. Man, MJ just showed it last night. Yeah, Peter, he, he sure did. I, uh, you know, the thing that, that strikes me, I'm having the privilege of watching this with my uh, 14-year-old son who knows Michael Jordan as the GOAT but for the first time is seeing that the mountain Michael Jordan had to climb wasn't given to him. Right. I mean, the, it took the bulls uh, five, six, seven years to, to make it to the finals and to get through those incredible Pistons teams. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, that, that's really neat. And I'll tell you my, uh, I think, you know, this Our uh, my, 
one of my lobbying partners, uh, Al Cardenas, recently um, got married down in Miami. And uh, there were it was a, a very eclectic uh, wedding ceremony. Al and Anna have a, a very diverse group of friends. Uh, but one of the guests was Isaiah Thomas. Uh-huh. And uh, <laughs> as a Bulls fan, had the opportunity to to talk to him a little bit about it. And and you're right. Look, you have to tip your hat to Michael Jordan in terms of he he found what fueled his fire, and and he leveraged it, and and it was real. And therefore, it you know even it it it, uh, it lasts. It's enduring to this day. Which, to your point, is um, I think one of the things that makes him the goat is uh, you know he didn't go team shopping. He, he grew the team that he was drafted on. Oh, boy, that just sounded uh, LeBron right there from a bull, an MJ advocate. I mean, what a shot at, at 32. I mean, wow. <laughs> yeah, now, so anyway, you're right, Peter. The, I the, love uh, – I got it. Like, they set up the Utah Jazz as the Dragons here. Like, they had just the scene – like, they just were like – they haven't talked about the Jazz at all. And the Jazz are – they're not as great as any of the other teams that are mentioned, the Lakers, the Bird Celtics, the Pistons. They may, be, they may be the best team to have never won a title in the NBA, but they are setting them up as this amazing battle against this team. You know, that they just because they foreshadowed it for just a minute, they're like, hey, by the way, looming out here are, are the Dragons and Daenerys. Looming out here is Carl Malone, John Stockton, and this team that came back from 17 points down to beat us. That's the mount, the last mountain Jordan is going to climb. And I just, I don't know that I'm going to get through it. Like, I still have, like, I, I will admit now, I remember I was uh, a sophomore in college. I was working at the Institute of Government in Tallahassee. And I remember I would call, and it's probably where my bias against the media started. I would complain because the Tallahassee Democrat would not have enough coverage of the NBA finals. And so I would offer to write sports coverage. I'm like, but there's <laughs> nothing in here about what John Stockton's going to do next. And like the sports editor would be like, yeah, um, we're going to get back to you on uh, expanding our NBA coverage and making you our beat reporter. I mean, I just, I remember walking over every day to get the Democrat to see like what the in-between game coverage was like. And I'm like, man, they're, they're really not, I think I may have written like a letter to the editor too. That's probably in their archives, like uh, uh, of shit that they make fun of is like, do you remember when Schorsch wrote the, the John Stockton <laughs> letter to the editor? Um, I actually called, I kid you, this is even worse. I remember and this is a complete abuse of state agency funds, but I think I used my Institute of Government phone system, you know, because long distance actually cost money back then, to call out to Utah to find out what the team did afterwards. I remember talking to a Utah Jazz, like, front office person, and they explained that how immediate was, how immediate it was. Like, after a team loses, they clear out the lockers, like, that day, and then they and they they dispersed it isn't like hey let's check back in thursday with each other and see how we're doing it's like they get their stuff they divide up the playoff royalties between themselves right then and then they're gone i mean off season starts the moment they walk out that or at least the utah jazz and carl malone and john stockton did but that's how um i i yeah I, I'm, I'm deep in that hole man deep in that hole uh look i'll tell uh, you john, john stockton and, and carl malone are one of the 
if not the greatest duo in NBA history. And, and I think, you know, playing out in the West, they don't get as much TV coverage uh, as, as, as you would if you played in the East. So, uh, you know, a lot of people in the Midwest and East didn't see them as much as, as you would now with the NBA package. Yeah. <laughs> Those two guys, they played, I mean, they really just, they were, they knew, you know, Stockton always knew where, where the mailman would be. Um, they, they, it was like watching a, a, a beautiful symphony when you watched those Utah Jazz teams play. For sure, they were they were awesome. It's it, um, it's also like this whole thing is a reminder about how, like I look at all of this, uh, the NBA, the rise of MJ. You know, like to me, it plays into the whole um, Spike Lee conversation with "Do you the right thing" when he's talking to Pino, uh, who's John Turturro's character. And he asks him something like, who's your favorite actor? And I think he says Bill Cosby, which probably hasn't aged well. He's like, who's your favorite musician? And he says Prince. And who's your favorite basketball player? I think he says Michael Jordan or whatever. But it was this moment, I think, in American cultural history where, like, white America, white suburban America and the African-American culture really merged again for the better. And it became, like... I think it did a lot to maybe kind of clean up some of the mistakes, the grave, grave mistakes. There was just this embrace. I, I, I know I was one of them. Like what, you know, all of a sudden I'm wearing Michael Jordan stuff and I'm, and Magic Johnson stuff and I'm listening to Public Enemy. And um, it, it just, it was this um, assimilation. Some people would say it. Now I don't know if it's like, uh, what do you call it when you, um, uh, and you take another culture, but it was a positive thing there uh, at that point. Like th that whole rise of of Nike and um, and just it was a it was a different moment. You know, it was like it was just a different moment, uh, almost innocent now when uh, compared to the identity politics that are there yeah. then. Well, so, look that, that that you know, Peter, you, you bring up an interesting point. Uh, you know, Jordan was not all he was was a basketball player and and i think i've i've watched hours of tape with michael jordan i've had the the privilege of of meeting him a couple times and i've never heard him say a four-letter word um and and to see the uh the freewheeling approach to his interviews and the the, the you know he's kind of let down his guard a little bit and he's he's probably you know they say mickey mantle had this maybe babe ruth had it he's probably the last athlete to be protected because of his greatness from stories that would otherwise be told. Yeah. Uh, right. There's no, there was no Twitter. There was no Instagram back then. And, and, and Jordan was probably built up culturally to be something different than, than the man he is, but, but it, it helped America kind of come together and, and not be white or black. I, I think you're right. That's I hadn't thought of it that way. Well, and you know, some of this is influence. I just listened to a, um, a Bill Simmons podcast some of the stuff that they did then, um, number one, the sport has changed dramatically. It was amazing watching the Pistons and the um, Bulls play in the highlights, and you just see the, the 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 damage they do to Jordan. And just that is, you know, now when you see teams dropping 150 points, like Steph, Steph Curry could not play against the Detroit Pistons. And I know people love Steph Curry. I do too. There's just no way he would make uh, uh, seven games against the Detroit Pistons, who I think are probably one of the few teams, yes, their size wasn't as big as the athletes are now, but assuming that they had the same level of training and off-season regiment as teams do now, and so add 20 pounds to Lambeer, et cetera, 
that's a team that definitely translate that would be able to win now. Um, like there would just be no answer to to the to the Pistons. Like they would they would be such a hated team against some of these run and gun. Like can you imagine what the Pistons would do to James Harden's hero ball? Like him coming down one on five. They would end that by the time he'd they'd put fifteen fouls on him in the first you know first half, and his body just wouldn't be able to take it. But also, you know, I think you bring up a good point about Jordan and, like, the social media part. Like, it was, like, like the idea that, like, Michael Jordan would not be on Instagram. Like, he would, you know, like, that that just doesn't even fit right now. I don't even know that I, – I, I don't know that uh, – and, yes, he was a empowered player like LeBron and some of these other guys, but I just don't know – I don't know that he could fit – uh, as reserved as he was, like his gambling habit. Could you imagine if you saw Michael Jordan in an Atlantic City blackjack table? What it would be like? Pretty awesome. This is what uh, it would be like. All right, so we're hunkering down with that. This is what happens with every one of these darn podcasts that I'm on. I just, but I knew as soon as I saw you, and I'm like, oh, I forgot about Chicago, and I'm just like. I'm loving this. I'm loving it so much because it brings me back to my boyhood. I mean, it just brings me back to when, you know, from the Lakers, which is seventh grade, up until uh, 98, which is, you know, second or third year in college. It was just such a uh, a remarkable time. Um, on a serious note, uh, when did coronavirus get real for you as you sit outside at your house right now? kind of uh, on lockdown. Yeah, I, you know, Peter, um, I, I, February 6th was the day uh, I, I'd read a uh, New early. York Times. Well, I, I, I distinctly, I get the um, uh, I get the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal kind of morning reads, which obviously I, I don't read before I read the sunburn because <laughs> yours comes in first. Uh, but the, that morning, the New York Times ran a story about um, – about a, uh, I think his name was Dr. Lee. You may have heard of him. He was yeah. the, the 34 year old ophthalmologist who worked at the, the Wuhan Central Hospital and sounded a warning about this troubling cluster of viral infections in a Chinese province that could kind of grow out of control. Um, and according to the report, he'd actually sent out the warning in December. Uh, noticing several cases uh, of the virus that he, he thought looked like like SARS. And um, and the story that the Times reported, so it's a, about, a you know, uh, maybe a month or so after this actually happened, that the, the impetus for the story was he died. Um, but apparently he he was summoned. Uh, just think about this. If, if this could ever happen in our country, he was summoned to the Public Security Bureau where he was made to sign a letter. Uh, and in the letter, he was he essentially acknowledged making false cl- statements and comments that had severely disturbed social order. And a month later, he had died of coronavirus. And so, you know, if, if, if as a country, your response to a health emergency is for the police to harass the doctor trying to blow the whistle, uh, your, you know, your structure is obviously broken. And in, in this case, it's it's China's political structure. I uh, I I've had some friends say I was on coronavirus very very early, probably I think as early as anyone 
uh, that's not affiliated with the government. And it's not an I told you so situation as much as I want to say, I think you and I were talking about it because I think I remember having a conversation with you kind of like right on Adam Street, just in passing with each other, uh, maybe like the last time I was up there, which was like the middle week of February. Because I remember the way I tell everybody is I remember Paul Bradshaw first bringing it up to me. And I remember, and I told Paul this, so it's not like a secret, but I've said there were some people who were saying, man, Bradshaw is way down on this coronavirus thing. Like he's saying it's for real. And I'm like, hey man, I'm going home and moving my money out. If Bradshaw says it's for real and the dude grows chickens and they won't let his chickens in, something must be up. And I just, I think you and I were, I think you were one of the couple of people who knew what I, or you knew, or you said something to me, or and I, I wish I knew better, but I remember seeing you up there and just like, this is, this is for real. And I remember, like, I was supposed to come up there again in February and I didn't, because uh, I was just like, I'm telling you, you people all think you have the flu. I thought it was going to be much worse than it's turned out to be, but I remember shutting down travel for me i think i was supposed to be up there for like the 21st turning second with swanson for one of his shows and i'm like dude i'm not coming and he's like oh you're overblowing it blah 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 and we got into a thing but i remember talking to you about it i think um or maybe maybe i'm just making you sound a lot i mean you talked to isaiah thomas for god's sake so i mean you're are you the perfect wedding guest like i'm just thinking like you know like i'm thinking about like going back to susky's wedding i'm thinking about al i mean like you dress up well, you clean. We know you're going to get a good present. You're not going to make an ass out of yourself. Your wife's beautiful and charming. I mean, like, you know, if you've got to invite 100 people to a wedding, it's like old frat brother who's a little bit, you know, he's down on his luck. No, I don't want him. Uh, trampy cousin. She's, <laughs> uh, do I want her? I'm like, I'm maybe not as close with Slater right now, but like, He's going to look great, like kind of off, like in the photos. He's tall. He's got a good suit. You know, I mean, like you should think about that as like, like right now, like people are rethinking what they're going to do economically. You might <laughs> want to think about like, you know, a new career as as rental wedding guest. Uh, I, you know, Peter, that, that, there are worse things to do, I suppose. I'll tell you, man, I uh, the two things I find, and this is going to sound a little odd. That I, that I find to really be centering in life are weddings and funerals. Huh. Um, I just, I, I, I get so much out of both of them in, in different ways when you This attend. is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, you're perfect. I, I, I hope to uh, one day come to one of your anniversaries, maybe. How about that? Oh, that's, I mean, just you delivering this speech right here, like, like, the best man has gone down. He's drank too much. And they're looking around. Who can do a toast really quick? And you're like, oh, Slater's here. And then you get up and you're, you give that, just what you said, I find weddings and few. And, and then you, <laughs> I mean, it's perfect. Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, That's funny, Peter. Thank you. Um, I, by the way, I am launching a yard card business. Like, I figure we're not going to go have parties uh for like forever and so like you know how like you can like put like happy birthday on somebody's yard like with the signs well there's only like two of those companies in st pete which is more twice two that's one company too many during regular times but right now when nobody can have the parties 
So, like, I'm definitely going in on St. Pete Yard. I told Michelle Sunday, Saturday night, I'm going to buy about 10 grand of, like, the little bears and the flamingos and all the stuff that you can put out on people's yards for their birthday. Uh, Peter, it's so funny you mentioned that. My uh, youngest daughter on Teacher Appreciation Day, uh, my wife coordinated this thing where they put one of these big yard signs in yeah. the teacher's yard and they did a parade. And, uh, you know, it's, I mean, you know, from uh, Ella Joyce, it's uh, the excitement around going out of the house and getting in the car and going to have this parade with this uh, for this teacher was, uh, you know, during COVID was pretty, pretty cool. We're excited now when the ice cream man comes by, like, because it's like contact with like, it's like, it's like 1952 around here. Cause the ice cream, you know, it used to be the ice cream guy drives by. You're like, what the hell is this old white van doing in my neighborhood? Now you're like, thank you God for, for bringing civilization to us. Uh, please come back tomorrow. Um, what was your last normal day since you, uh, kind of caught on to coronavirus early what, what what was your last normal day especially with session going on everything like that man I, you know peter in some ways i um i guess like you i'm involved in florida politics so there's there's there are no normal days that's true um, I, you know i'll tell you in in some ways just candidly uh getting to have dinner with my wife and our three kids every night for the last month has been more normal than that my life has ever been. Uh, you know, the, the days are full of phone calls and zoom meetings. And look, we have, we have a lot of clients who, who are hurting, their businesses are hurting. They don't know whether they're going to come back. We've got, you know, folks we work with like Eckert, who uh, is in the, uh, does amazing work in the child welfare world and are trying to find PPE for their frontline workers. And, and so, so all day you, you're, you're on these calls um, and you're hearing about this stuff um, and, and you know it's happening out there, but it's, it's almost like, um, you know, being a, a, huh, like being a pilot who flies a drone rather than a real plane. And you can, you can see all these things are happening, but they're not kind of really impacting you emotionally as much as they probably should. Um, and so it's, it's, it's very strange how normal everything is in my house. Well, while the rest of the world is 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 so abnormal at this moment, it's almost guilt-inducing. Like I found, I find myself guilt feeling guilty. Like, hey, we're doing okay over here. When you know, like a mile that way is are people that you know, and small business owners that have had their lives just completely upended here. Um, but information workers, which is essentially what you and I are, for lack of a better term, um, we're going to make it, hopefully, you know, as, as long as we can get this economy going again somehow. Um, let's switch gears, though. Let's be a little positive. I know, because um, now we've run, I, I've, I've ran you like so long on this, but this I'm just so excited to talk about the last dance with somebody. Um, give me a couple recommendations, and I always love yours. I got... The book you sent me today, uh, Billion Dollar Whale, I'm really pumped about that. I'm pumped because you got me uh, – I don't know if it is in paperback, but I always like to have a book for the pool, and I don't like to have the Kindle or a hardcover. And so that is going to be the the book that I dive into the pool with as soon as um, this podcast is over. So give me a couple of recommendations on things people should be reading or watching or downloading while we're all hunkering down right now. 
Yeah, well, look, so Billion Dollar Whale, you mentioned, is a fantastic uh, uh, true life story. Uh, and it's written by two Pulitzer uh, Prize, uh, I think, winners or maybe finalists, uh, Tom Wright and, um, and Bradley Hope from the Wall Street Journal uh, about this uh, really this Malaysian con man uh, that became the world's most baller high roller of all time. And, and it's a true story. Great, great book. Um, uh, read a book recently uh, called Never Split the Difference by um, a guy named Chris Voss, who's a former FBI hostage negotiator. Ooh. Um, it's, uh, it's essentially a self-help book. And, uh, it, I don't know whether I've told you this. I've, uh, I've got this uh, habit of giving people in my life self-help books that I think they need for Christmas, uh, which sometimes causes relationships. People love that strange. subtle message. <laughs> yeah. So I'm a, I'm a big, big fan of, uh, giving self-help books, but, but Chris Boss's book, Never Split the Difference is, uh, is a almost like an inverted way to look at negotiating. Uh, it's 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 really interesting. Um, Go ahead. I'll keep taking your recommendations. We like them. Uh, Paper Tiger is a book about a an obsessed uh, golfer's kind of quest to play professionally. Hmm. Uh, very funny book. Incredibly well written. Uh, kind of exposes the underbelly of semi pro golf. And has a little bit of a, a, a love uh, story undertone to it. Um, it's uh, it's it's. I mean, it's full of humor, but it's also beautifully written about a a game that uh, you know, golf is a very complicated game. It is. You know, it's not something. And I should be out there. I've got a golf course like one of the. Yeah, it's just not my thing. Um, well, buddy, it's good to talk to you. Uh, I think people. Um, are going to like hearing this podcast because we get to uh, talk about the Chicago Bulls, Wall Street Journal, coronavirus. This is exactly what I wanted. A nice little widespread or a, a wide out podcast. I, you and I, I, I love talking with you. Um, I wish I would. I could see you as like, I don't want to say sidekick, but you could be the other person on this pod with me as we interview other people. Like I just, I always, you're always reading good stuff got a good attitude so um i really appreciate you coming on today no nah, peter look man I, I really appreciate it i appreciate all you're doing to keep florida politics sane during these crazy times <laughs> uh, uh grateful to be uh grateful to be here with you man all right brother you take care thanks peter